The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. There's a very big case I'm involved with. And there were some things that broke today. One of the reasons I am at the office and did the poker thing is because I'm so burned out on this one particular case. The prosecutor on that case, they have said a lot of things. And it's one of those cases where we've lost sight of the truth. My kid is innocent. I'm going to tell this to you because this prosecutor, who I understand is a former baseball player, as am I. You don't need to steal signs from the catcher, bro. I'm throwing the heat. My fastball has movement on it. I'm not going to throw a brushback pitch. I don't need to. You and I are going to go one-on-one. And I promise you this, motherfucker. You're going to whiff. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Okay, we're live. Bill Amadeo, McManus and Amadeo. And tonight, the eighth term at Holy. So tonight, I went to uh, play poker in Oakland County. Just in the mood to play some poker. I just wanted to get away from everything. It's been a long week. And I um, sit down at the poker table. And get talking to a few of the guys and one of the guys knows me or he saw me on the internet whatever you know when i go to like play poker i did everything to try to be anonymous i just want to focus on my hands and you know play my pots whatever and he tells me about his cousin who actually got arrested that night when i go visit him in the oakland county jail and picked up a new client and it was funny because um he started talking to me a little bit, right? Big guy. And I'm walking out, and I see him following me, and I'm like thinking, oh man, this guy's gonna try to rob me or something. That's Atlantic City, like horse tracks and poker rooms was always dangerous if you were like counting your money, and I counted some money out. And uh, turns out I got a referral out of it. So, very interesting night. So, with that being said, after the Oakland County Jail visit, I decided to go back to the office and work on a preliminary exam I got coming up and just bag out this eighth term thing. Let's about the eighth term. Eighth term was, it was right after mom passed away. So it was really a transition. You know, you knew mom was going to pass, but you just didn't expect it. I mean, I guess you did, but I don't think you could really prepare for that. You guys know what I'm talking about. And I'm coming back to school, and I got a bunch of electives that term. And it was almost like going to be a one of the easiest terms I ever had at Cooley. You know, you had four electives. And electives at Cooley, at least back then, electives would be like normal courses somewhere else. I mean, you had to put in some work for electives. I remember I had sports law that term. Had to write like an 86-page thesis on something but it was nothing you know it wasn't secure transactions 
you know, it wasn't Crim Pro. It was when you get to your eighth term, you know that you're going to take the bar. And bar prep was going to be a huge thing at this point. Eighth term was, um, it was a term of transitions, I call it. Remember, before the term started, I'm back in Jersey, right? And there were a couple people that meant a lot to me that uh, I took out to dinner during that term break. One was Father Sullivan. And Sully, uh, Sully was my childhood priest. And I think when you grow up strong Catholic, you know, you hold the priest in such high regard. I mean, Father Sullivan's story is well documented. He eventually um, admitted to molesting a child before he came to St. James. Why the candidiasis moved him from one place to another of our children's beyond me. And no, I was never molested by Father Sullivan. I'm fairly certain if I had been molested by someone and my family knew about it, they would have just burned the rectory down. My family, there was a disconnect there. Nobody was going to ever touch Billy. So let's be clear. People asked me, um, did Sully touch you? No, he didn't. And when I was taken about to dinner, I didn't know about that. Eventually, I lost big-time jobs defending Sully. Sully, man, that's, that's just a weird situation. I talk to my shrink about Sully sometimes. But we would go out to dinner, and uh, he's telling me how, you know, you, you know, you've proved these people wrong. You're a self-made man. Thanks. You know, he goes, you're going to make it through law school. Yep. Because I don't know if you're going to pass the bar, but you're going to make it through law school. And let me tell you something, Billy. With your amount of intellect, graduating from law school, that's a big accomplishment for you. So don't beat yourself up if you can't pass the bar exam. Okay. Bought the dinner. We shook hands. And I remember I was like, I was marinating my mind like Sullivan doesn't think I could pass the bar exam. And there was this other guy. I won't mention his name. But I worked in the casino with him and he was somewhat of a role model. This guy was a nice guy, but when he started drinking Johnny Black, he became scum of the earth a little bit of liquor went in this guy and like all the ass tendencies he probably fought throughout the day just came out of him he was an evil up individual when he was drinking and he used to brag about drinking johnny walker black like he was accomplishing something great i drink johnny black was his thing and then as the scotch kept coming in kept coming out and one night he just, he did a lot of stuff. I've mentioned him before, but this particular night, I was um, playing poker at Tropicana. And this is one of the reasons I even did this blog tonight, thinking how poker comes full circle. Always like playing poker. And I used to go back to Trop, because I worked there during term breaks and stuff. And I, I don't think I'll ever go back to Trop again. I mean, the people I'm close with at Trop are the people I choose to be. But, you know, I think it was like homecoming going back to Trop very strange situation and he's there and he wants to grab dinner and I'm like, okay and he's drinking and he kept saying well you know it looks like you're gonna pass law school you know so you surprise a lot of us but i don't think you'll pass new jersey bar exam now 
two people I had looked up to at that point who I don't even look at today. And people say, well, do you look down upon them today? No, I don't even look. You know, Sully's gone, he's dead, and this guy is just, he's kind of dead to me. They both kept making this big issue that I'm not going to pass the bar exam. I'm buying them dinner. I think we're friends. They're kind of role models. I don't know what the deal was, but he's not going to pass the bar. That was the theme of the night. Now, in those situations, guys, you got to remember this. When you're trying to move forward in life, do people really want to see you succeed? These guys could have easily gotten my head, and I'm thinking I'm not going to pass the bar exam. But what I did with these two was I thought to myself, huh, well, fuck you. I started bar prep early. Eighth term was a time to take a break from your required classes. And I decided since these two quote-unquote supposed role models kept telling me I'm not going to pass the bar, I'm going to start bar prep now and stick it up their ass. Different mindset, okay? I'm not saying that's natural or healthy, but that's just what I was thinking. I was kind of outraged that they were saying these things to me when I was trying to do a nice deed. So bar prep took on like this whole mechanism of its own. I'm going to pass that fucking New Jersey bar on the first try. Bank on it. Like I knew that in my mind right then and there. It was going to be a mission in life. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, So I'm in Jersey. And, you know, you guys that know me, I don't club. Uh, to me, going to a poker room, which I don't do frequently, is about the extension of me going out. Just not really a club guy. Never been. It's just not me. But it was a weird term. Mom had just passed, and some people want me to go to the club, so we went to the Brigada. I forget what the club was called, but it was the big-time club at the Brigada. It was the place everybody wanted to go to. And I'm sitting there, I'm buying a few people drinks, and I'm bored out of my mind. I mean, when I go to a club, I'm, like, looking for a TV to watch a ball game to put some money on it. Or I'm studying something on my phone. Like, I'll go to those social club settings. You know, I do that sometimes. So I have to for business. I enjoy taking people to dinner. Where you can actually have conversation. But going to, like, a dance club, it's just never really been me. It wasn't me then. wasn't me now. never be me. But I'm there. And this one young woman I used to work with, she's drunk out of her mind. And, um, and she's, like, dating this younger kid. And this kid is like all steroid up. And she's got him whipped. I mean, she's got him completely whipped. And she wants to keep talking to me that night. And I'm like, I'm on half speed, you know. I'm not really paying attention to her. Um, texting a few people on my phone. Because back then, you know, we're talking like 2007. Uh, texting was really unique at that point. You know, you're like pressing three times to get to see it was a pain in the ass but i was texting people i wanted to talk to back in michigan you know and she's talking to me and going on and on and she throws me against the wall and just starts making out with me and here's this dude bigger than life coming at me and like i stepped to him and he was big and muscular but he also was kind of a pussy 
And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not even doing anything, and I'm going to catch a character and fitness issue. I can't wait to get the hell out of Jersey. So, the one role model who's a priest says I'm going to fail the bar. The other one says I'm going to fail the bar. This chick is sticking her tongue down my throat when I'm not even paying attention to things. Her boyfriend wants to fight me. Mom just passed away. I can't wait to start f***ing bar prep, man. Like, let me get the hell back to Michigan. Michigan became sanity for me. Think about that. Because you guys that watch me, you know, this is not always sane, right? But Michigan became sanity. That's how dysfunctional New Jersey was. So I get back to Cooley. And I'm banging through my electives. And I start studying bar prep way ahead of schedule. And I took my first practice MBE, and it was horrible. horrible. I remember Holly Glazier said to me, Holly Glazier was in charge of bar prep back then. She goes, I don't think you're able to pass the bar. Um, your numbers are too low. I said, well, I haven't done torts in two years, so maybe that's part of the problem. A lot of negativity around there. So I was just busting my ass studying every day everybody that put me down motivation 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 remember this when people you like respect or even people you don't like people get in your head don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do shit. you have to use that for motivation most people want to break you down it's not right it's not fair but it is so you got to fight back when that happens. And I just got sick of hearing I can't pass this f***ing bar exam. I mean, we know how that story ends. But, you know, at the time, a lot of barriers there. And sometimes when people are training people to take the bar exam, that negative enforcement, that doesn't always work, man. It takes a unique mind to think, I'm going to overcome what people I admire are saying. I think a lot of people fail the bar because they listen to negativity. You gotta shut the, f the world out. Just study. Study like your life depends on it. Because in some ways it does. So bar prep became a passion. Multiple choice became just like religion to me. When you do a multiple choice question, what you have to do is look for wrong answers as opposed to looking for that one right answer. There's four answer choices right and 200 multiple choice on the bar exam the mbe portion the multiple choice portion so if you think to yourself there's 600 wrong answers and there's 200 right answers it's easier to find the wrong answers than to find the right answers so if you're having a problem with multiple choice start looking for those wrong answers they say in law school and people taking the bar exam people who always try to find the good in someone have a tough time because you'll try to convince yourself an answer is right. On the other hand, people that look for flaws in people all the time, they usually do well on the bar exam because it's easier to see wrong answers. So wrong answers became a thing. Look for those wrong answers and eliminate them. Look for the wrong instead of fishing for the right. It will make your life a lot easier if you're in that discipline. What really was strange, um, that term, were my social relationships. There was a girl I was dating. We were pretty tight. We were close. 
you know, and she was a poor kid. I grew up a poor kid. And we kind of had this thing that we were going to make it together. We had a plan. She was going to do criminal law. And I was going to do civil litigation. Right there, that should tell you how screwed up this plan was. But, you know, we had a plan. We were going to make it together. And she went off to her externship. Now, when she went to her externship that term break... And it was weird, you know, because mom had just passed, so her and I were talking all the time, and she had relatives that passed. I helped her through it. But we're talking like once or twice a day, and anybody that knows me knows when I've been in relationships, I'm not the guy that's going to ever chase you down or be insecure or anything like that. Like, I call you once, you don't call me back. You know, I'm not going to call you a bunch of times or text you a bunch of times. It's just not me. Um, But, you know, she wasn't calling back on those one calls and you start realizing something's happening here she's pulling away and like okay i get it figured there was somebody else in the picture and there was um so the partner at the firm she was externing for he was like 35 30 i think he was 37 years older than her something really it was a big gap right and he was going to leave his wife for her. They got in like this heated affair. And she breaks it all down for me. Like, you know, look, I'm sorry. But, you know, he's my sure thing. Remember her mom said to me. Her mom loved me, right? Her mom thought me and her were going to make it together and all that happy shit. Her mom said to me. You know, it was weird because her mom was really religious. They were poor now. So I understand what happened there. But her mom said to me that he is her Manhattan Shore thing. And I am her Atlantic City crapshoot. Mm. Yeah, I remember that well. And, um, you know, so she's back in law school after the externship was done. And we, we had broken up. And, um, you know, she's calling me sometimes, and, you know, it, it was what it was. I guess at this point, we were hooking up behind her soon to be husband's back, even though she was the mistress of this guy. It was just a bizarre situation. So he suspects that her and I are hooking up. He tells me he's going to call the New Jersey Board of Ethics and make sure that I can't pass character and fitness. And it, I was kind of... <laughs> it was funny because the guy is pissed off I'm hooking up with his mistress, who was my girlfriend, and he's going to call the ethics board on me. Is that like the go-to for enemies? Like, we're going to call the ethics board on you. I wasn't doing anything that would be an ethics violation. At this point, though, this guy could have crushed me. He was really powerful in New York back then. And he knew people in Jersey. And it became a lot of drama. And I'm thinking, at this point, you know, I gotta take care of Aunt Mare. You know, Mom passed away. And I am definitely... have I have a lot on my shoulders at this point. And by hooking up with her, am I gonna wreck a chance to 
do what I got to do in Jersey. You know, and I'm not one to ever back down from anything, but, you know, she picked him over me, and then we're just hooking up, and it was over. And that was it. And at that time, you know, it was kind of just a weird feeling because, I mean, after losing mom, I believed at that point, after losing mom, it was you know, nothing else. No matter what else I lost in life, it wasn't going to be a big deal. And she wasn't the one, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, that happened. And it was like a trade-up situation. I don't think I would have been upset that we broke up. I didn't like her mom saying that he was the Manhattan Shore thing and I was the Atlantic City crapshoot. Give me more motivation to kick ass on the bar exam. And then there was another girl I was dating a little bit. I didn't think it was all that serious. And we were, we were hanging out. And then she stopped seeing me because she was seeing the guy who was top of his class and she told me like hey i'm really i'm more into you but he's top of the class so you know i gotta make i gotta do this like <laughs> oops didn't really work out the way she planned but you know top of the class at cooley i mean that's like saying i'm with the guy that got the participation trophy i mean nothing against cooley okay i i appreciate you giving my um chance but being the top of your class at Cooley was not exactly going to open up the same doors as like being the top of your class at U of M or Harvard or something like that. There's a lot of trading up that term. It was really unique. And it was a term of loss. You know, uh, certainly it was a, you were stinging from losing your mom. And then the girl you were serious with, she went with a 37-year-old older guy. This chick, it didn't really mean that much, the second one, but she was trading up in her mind. By the way, neither one of those worked out for you guys financially. Sullivan and the guy I worked with put a lot of shit past in the bar. So between what I felt was lo people I admired losing faith in me or not thinking I was capable, I just decided balls to the wall in this bar exam i'm going to kill the bar i want to slit its throat there's a very big case i'm involved with and there were some things that broke today one of the reasons i am at the office and did the poker thing is because i'm so burned out on this one particular case the prosecutor on that case they have said a lot of things and it's one of those cases where we've lost sight of the truth. My kid is innocent. I'm going to tell this to you, because this prosecutor, who I understand is a former baseball player, as am I. You don't need to steal signs from the catcher, bro. I'm throwing the heat. My fastball has movement on it. I'm not going to throw a brushback pitch. I don't need to. You and I are going to go one-on-one, -on -one, and I promise you this, motherfucker, you're going to whiff. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio.
I was in Port Huron, right? Trial prepping and doing trials, and I'm in a Zoom and Wayne from my car. And there's this hot mic moment. And I heard the lawyer, he didn't have his camera on mute, have his thing on mute or whatever. And he screamed at his client, if you get a third jaywalking ticket, we might be facing jail time. And that is how the week started. Alright, I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. And today, we are doing jail visit content. And I gotta admit, not gonna lie to anybody, I've been working since 6am. <clears throat> I think I killed more trees today than a guy chopping wood. I filed motion after motion, went to the gym. I am absolutely exhausted, but um, we are going to do some topics today. Today, for the jail visit content, our topics are, number one, the preliminary exam. Number two, Zoom versus live hearings. Number three, a little bit of Shiawassee legal talk. And then four, the right to life discussion. And these are all going to be brief. We're going to start with the preliminary exam. Preliminary exam is at the district court level. When we're talking about the prelim, what the prosecutor has to do to get the case bound over to circuit court is show probable cause. Probable cause is next to nothing. What we have to show for probable cause is that a crime may have been committed. So in essence, if a complaining witness says something happened, that's enough to bound the thing over. So you might ask yourself, what's the point of running a preliminary examination? Well, this varies from county to county, guys. Like, in Shiawassee, I don't really run prelims. Got a lot of respect for that prosecutor's office, and I think a prelim is usually a waste of time. If I'm hedging for trial, or I'm working on a plea, I don't want to preview my case. If I'm in Wayne County, I'm probably going to run that because I want to preview the case and shake things up. Um, I had a prelim in Wayne the other day. I mean, and I tore this witness apart. The judge bounded over, and the judge said on the record, you got a wealth of information here. There's problems at trial. Well, mission accomplished. I've won eight prelims in my career, which is probably nine more than most people. <laughs> And a prelim, in civil context, it'd be like having a frivolous complaint. In a criminal context, it's such a low burden. Um, you got to really look at who the complaining witnesses are. You know, with the prelim, it's usually a bullshit hearing. But what you want to do with a prelim is you want to build discovery. Adam Cartwright, who's a damn good criminal defense lawyer in Missouri, always refers to preliminary examinations as free discovery. You want to lock in a story... You want to lock in a story to potentially use to impeach somebody in the future. you got to make sure you sequester people at the prelim. Like, for example, if there were 12 liars, sorry, 12 alleged victims that claim something happened and you asked to sequester, you also have to take it off YouTube. Because if the lawyer's not smart enough to realize that people can f watch YouTube, you might f your client over. 
Zoom error, guys. Get the shit off YouTube to protect doctored testimony. A motion to sequester doesn't mean shit if it's on YouTube and people can watch it and come in and testify to that. I just... How fucking stupid are some of these lawyers? I'm asking the live audience here because I got somebody who's very intelligent watching this right now and we go over our cases every day and I'm like, how would you keep something on YouTube when there's other witnesses about to go? I mean, did the defense lawyer say, hey, let's make sure they don't have access to their phones? You can't compromise things. And in Wayne County, it's interesting because in Wayne, you almost have to run a prelim. In Washington, it depends who the prosecutor is. In Jackson, you might want to build discovery. And it goes back to something I said a long time ago. It's not a one-size-fits-all. The way you practice criminal law in Shiawassee is not the way you practice criminal law in Washington, and that's not the way you practice criminal law in Wayne County. There was a Wayne County lawyer. It's a funny story. And they had a prelim. And this was a big-time Wayne County lawyer. And they showed up 29 minutes late to the prelim. I remember this because the prosecutor who I'm friends with was telling me how they showed up 29 minutes late. In Shiawassee, if you show up late, you gotta be out of your f***ing mind. You show up on time, you look appropriate, you advocate properly, and you show up when the court tells you to show up. In Wayne, it's almost like suggested times, you know? You got a 9 o'clock. Well, now it's 10.15. Judge, the prosecutor didn't show up yet. Well, it's only 10.15, Mr. Amadeo. <laughs> you know? It's not... You can't practice law the same way everywhere. And I tell this to anybody. If you're a little off and you work hard, you too can be a good criminal defense lawyer. People keep telling me... I, like, I had some young kids email me this week. And they told me, like, you're a role model. You're, like, the face of success. I gotta tell you. If this is success, I'm just going to run into the ground. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm nuts at times. You know, I'm I'm the guy that's going to FOIA stuff in the middle of the night or email the prosecutor at 2 in the morning. This is not traditional criminal defense. And when I'm running a prelim, you better really be looking at why I'm doing that. You know, when there's a county where there's an option to run it, and I'm demanding you run it, Either I think somebody's not showing up or I want to lock in a story. If I'm not running it, I may be holding my card to the vest. But I hate it. I hate these lawyers who just run it to run it. And I hate ones that wave it because they're scared to run it. You got to look at every case specific. Okay? They don't teach you this shit in law school. You know, the person, my crim law professor, I remember Norman Fell. I don't know if he knows where prelim is. You know? I mean, I know he, like, he, like, graded essays and stuff like that. I know his claim to fame was the Innocence Project. I remember when I worked with Norman Fell in the Innocence Project, he used to get pissed off because I made too much work for him. Well, the reason why, the reason why we're making work is because we're trying to protect someone's fucking freedom. Lawyers do not come in all shapes and sizes, but the one thing you can always do as an attorney, the one thing you have an obligation to do, is work your ass off. You're not going to win every case. But if you push the limit and you get better results than anybody else, that's all about effort, man. There's nothing you learned in law school that's going to make you a good criminal defense lawyer. 
There's nothing you learned in the bar that's going to make you a good criminal defense lawyer. What they don't measure is heart. They don't measure effort. Take those IQ tests and show them up your ass. I know so many people that were dominant law students that I wouldn't want representing someone, wait for it, on a jaywalking ticket. I really, I heard that this week. Literally. Somebody had their third jaywalking ticket in Wayne. They were potentially facing jail time. I gotta tell you. I'm a Jersey kid. I mean, I think, like, stop signs were optional. <laughs> we used to jaywalk all the time. And I'm sure I got some enemies out there watching. You got me, MSP. I'm a jaywalker. So, maybe that will get me off some of your cases. I don't know. When we're prosecuting people for jaywalking, I really wonder, what the f*** are we doing here? There's no prelims on jaywalking. With misdemeanors, there's no such thing as a preliminary examination. You have pre-trials and trials, so misdemeanors are usually not heavy lifting. But, you know, it depends. There's some judge that will give you jail time on a misdemeanor, so you got to watch your back. But, um, yeah. I've been known to jaywalk, and I never actually envisioned that people could do jail time for jaywalking. This had to be in the city of Detroit. Hey, listen, me and the Detroit PD, we don't always hit it off, but guys, there's some other shit going on in Detroit. Leave those jaywalkers alone. There's a murder going on across the street. We need to take care of that, not the guy who's fucking jaywalking. Anyway, preliminary exam, not a one-size-fits-all. Know what county you're in. Know if you want to plea, if you want to go to trial, if you want to lock in a story, if you want to preview the case, is there something bigger than the case itself? You know, we really need to pick what's going on. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Topic two, Zoom versus live hearings. Let's talk about that. COVID air. We are in the Zoom realm, guys. And when I say the Zoom realm, whole different ballgame. What we had to do was move a lot of things to Zoom because we worry about COVID spreading. And... In my opinion, there's some things you can't do on Zoom, but there's many things you can accomplish on Zoom. I'm going to tell you guys a funny Zoom story later, but um, yeah, it doesn't have the same effect, but we've learned like when you're looking at a probationary sentence and somebody's not facing prison time, you know, the whole thing here is you can probably accomplish a lot on Zoom. But when you don't think a complaining witness is going to show up, you need to demand a live hearing. If somebody's facing life in prison, you need to demand a live hearing. And obviously, if we get to a jury trial, can't do that on Zoom. What I am learning is like I'm doing some abuse and neglect cases. Some of those things can be accomplished on Zoom. Zoom is valuable. And it's amazing that it took a national pandemic for criminal defense to learn the value of Zoom. And, you know, not that I'm a big supporter of Zoom, but any type of electronic hearings, there is value in them. There's no reason to travel three hours for a probable cause conference. There may be a reason to travel six hours preliminary examination. You know, again, 
you got to know your county. I'll say like Oakland and Wayne, they're doing a lot of stuff on Zoom now. But there is concerns. And the concern's going to be an appeal. You know, we, the Court of Appeals and the Michigan Supreme Court, have not really addressed the problems with Zoom. So if somebody gets convicted and most of their hearings would be a Zoom, that could be a problem. You know, um, it is what it is, but there is a lot we can accomplish virtually that we don't have to travel to. But I tell you this one story. I was in a Zoom waiting room once in a county far, far away. It wasn't local. And we were waiting for our cases to be called. And the judge in this county, and it's a very interesting judge. I won't mention the guy's name. I don't work in that county often, so that should tell you it's not Wayne, it's not Shiawassee, it's not Washington. And, um, you know, when you're surfing the net on Zoom, you got to be careful. You just got to be careful. There were two lawyers, I knew, and the judge pulled up our screens. It was like a bunch of us, and they pulled up our screens. And like on my screen, I was like taking notes on the case. Nothing wrong with that, right? Two of the guys were looking at pornography on the Zoom. <laughs> and, and the judge called them out. And he immediately took it off YouTube. Why would you look at porn on Zoom? That's insane, man. I mean, you got a problem, bro. I mean, you just set yourself up for malpractice. Imagine you're the client. And your lawyer is surfing the net for pornography instead of studying your case. I remember I was in a Zoom hearing one day, and there's um there's a court-appointed lawyer. Nice guy. He sucks, but he's a nice guy. And a prosecutor was talking to him, and he says to the court-appointed guy, he goes, Hey, I, at the prelim the other day, I saw you polishing your gun. What type of gun was it? And the court-appointed guy starts telling the prosecutor what type of gun it is. And those two are having this chat about a gun. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my god. You were polishing your gun during a f***ing preliminary examination on Zoom? Dude, we've got people's lives in our hands here. So, if you're on Zoom, let's not look at porn. Let's not polish our fucking guns. Let's focus on the task at hand. You know, if you ever, if you're one of these people that's on the fence about going to law school and you don't think you're good enough, please go down to the court someday or just go on YouTube. You'll feel a lot better about yourself. Just because somebody got through law school and passed the board does not mean they're intelligent. Good God. I literally would not have some of these people representing my dog on cases. A lot of lawyers I respect, but Jesus, man. Come on, guys. One thing that's dangerous about Zoom to the undisciplined lawyer or the one who doesn't care is everything's on camera now. You know? It's not the days when some idiot's playing with their phone when they're supposed to be studying a case. Now you're on YouTube with it. So really, we need to step our game up. 
you know, I respect lawyers. I really do. But lawyers that don't care just piss me off. The jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Shiawassee Legal Talk. There we go. Well, I'm going to tell you this. The Board of Commissioners, I mean, this should be like a reality show. We could have Root banging the gavel and Cindy Garber not properly being clothed and Plowman screaming at people while his head gets real, face gets really red because he's pissed off about things. Let me tell you what I heard. I don't know if it's true or not. The rumor on the street is that they are going to bid the job for the new lawyer. So the Board of Commissioners are supposed to take bids for a new lawyer. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm going to tell you this. If we're going to take bids on being the attorney in that position, I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to call Scott Corner. And Scott's somebody I respect a lot, even though he wants to kill me right now because we're on some heated cases. If Scott Corner is going to get the job, which I believe is the right thing for the prosecutor's office to get that job, we are not bidding. However, if Corner is not taking the job, rest assured McManus and Amadeo is going to put a bid in. And I'm going to put a young lawyer out there and get an office there. And I want the board to tell me if they are taking bids, why our firm, for a low price, will not be getting this job. Here's what we're going to do. We're probably going to put a bid for 60 k a year with 20 k going back to the mental health court. And if you think I'm doing it to make forty grand a year, you don't know what I'm dealing with in my career right now. But I would love just to have an office in Shiawassee and be there more often. And I got a young lawyer in place where they will make all that 40 and long as doing some other work for us. We'll give money back to the mental health court and we will rock with that. If there is no bid happening, obviously I'm not going to put one in, but I'll be really clear. The prosecutor's office should be the attorney. But if it is going to end up being open season, we'll put a bid in. And I want them to explain why our firm, which would basically be doing it on a pro bono basis, should not get it. Part of me just says, you know what, I know we'd be the best option out there other than the prosecutor's office. And number two, why wouldn't you hire us for the proper price? Cindy Garber, you once said to me in an email about how the people have spoken when they reelected you guys. Listen, it's Shiawassee. A lot of people basically voted Republican across the board, which I understand, but they didn't vote for you. If anybody really knew, the more you guys talk, the more vulnerable your positions are. Got a group of idiots there. You need a fucking lawyer that's going to come in and change some shit. And I'm going to tell you right now. 
if our firm was to get involved, there's going to be some major f***ing changes from a legal perspective. And if we're not, we're not. Prosecutor's office, they should be the one getting the job. But if it's going to be open season, we're going to come in, do a bang-up job, make sure the mental health court gets money they deserve, and we're going to make Shiawassee a better place in the litigation aspect of things. You could quote me on that. And if anybody wants to challenge me, you let me know where to meet you. I will have a public debate on this. <laughs> we'll just move from that point. Right to life discussion. This is a heated, heated topic right now. You know, there's some case law out of Texas, which is talking about potentially moving back to a pro-life versus a pro-choice situation. Let me just tell you my history. Because I'm not like the huge pro-life guy. Brian Largy, who's a good friend of mine, who's a strong political candidate, he is, pro-life is near and dear to him. Right to life is near and dear to me. I'm going to explain the difference right now. All right, let me explain this. As a kid... Growing up strong Catholic, um, altar boy at Father Sullivan, if you ever sold the St. James stuff, uh, Catholicism was always shoved down our throat. I was an altar boy, served Mass multiple times a week, used to be forced to go to abortion rallies. I remember Father Sullivan once made us go to a rally when the Eagles were playing the Cowboys, and instead of watching the football game, I was with a bunch of people at a rally didn't even know what was going on. Like, it gets, no matter what side you are, you know, it gets shoved down your throat. And personally, you know what? I'm a guy. I can't carry a child. And because I cannot carry a child, I really don't think it's my place to say if a woman should have a choice or not. That's a woman's decision. Here's what I will argue, though. And I'm going to go to Sarah Lynn Jones on this. Bobby Reyes' mom. Once you have the child, should you not have a right to fight for that child's life? Because what I watched in the Bobby Reyes case, and yeah, this is f***ing personal. What I watched in the Bobby Reyes case was U of M and a lot of people fighting to kill a child. You know, that's just messed up. If we're going to say... That a woman should have a choice whether to abort or not. Shouldn't that same woman have a choice to keep fighting for her child's life? Sarah's not an isolated incident, unfortunately. But Sarah was the right to fight for her son's life was taken away from her. How the hell? Are we going to say if a woman has a choice of what to do with her body, the woman should not have the same choice to keep her son alive? Explain that to me. I don't care if you're pro-life or you're pro-choice. I really don't give a shit. What I do care about is that if we're going to give a woman the right to bear a child, that woman should also have a right to protect that child's life when the child's life is on the line. I saw so many people come out and say it was unethical to keep Bobby alive. 
There was an argument the kid wasn't dead. And here's where I'm at. If there's a chance that Bobby Reyes can survive, if there's this much of a chance, how the f*** are we not going to take that chance and try to protect the kid's life? Explain that to me. I don't give a shit if U of M brings in 14 lawyers and pays hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to take the kid off of life support. I don't care what their position is. Let's just forget all the legal bullshit for a minute. Let's just talk human to human. If there's a chance for a child to survive and the family wants to exhaust that opportunity, why should they not be given the right? Explain that to me. I don't want to hear about statutes. I don't want to hear about theories. Forget about that. I get it. My education could be put up against anybody and vice versa. Fuck all that. Forget about all the education. Forget about all the accolades. Let's just talk person to person. And my question is, if there's a chance, how do we not take that chance? Explain to me what your position is on that. I told the court they were giving Bobby Reyes a death sentence by not giving Sarah and Jose the opportunity to find another hospital. You know, and the politics, the political atmosphere was amazing. People didn't want to go against U of M. I don't know. Just people still say to me today, were you scared of going against U of M? And my response was, well... As a white kid growing up in Atlantic City in the 90s, I was scared of MS-13 and the Crips, but I wasn't scared of f***ing U of M. If the family wants to fight for their child after they conceived and raised a child, who the f*** are we to take that away from them? And it really confused me because so many pro-choicers were in favor of taking Bobby off life support. I think that's kind of hypocritical. If you're pro-choice, your argument is that the woman has a right to choose, right? Okay, I respect that. Why doesn't Sarah get a right to choose? Why should she lose that choice just because Bobby's not a fetus anymore? Explain that to me, guys. I want somebody to really f***ing break that down for me. If a woman has a right to choose whether to abort or not abort, why should that same woman not have a right to fight for her child's life when the child's life is on the line? It's got to go both ways. The child does not become less important once they're born. I will never understand the fight that U of M put up. And I'll tell you what, motherfuckers, because I was learning on the fly. You would have given me another 30 days. Things might have been very different. I really regret I didn't know about this issue prior to that. Because so I would have put shit on pause for that. I'm glad the family got two weeks, but it should have been a lifetime that got taken away. With that said, we have some questions that were emailed in. Can you explain where things are with Bobby's Law? Well, I don't know right now. The essence of Bobby's Law, and this is something 
that um, Amanda and Sarah and Carrie Perez could speak more intelligently on. But what I can tell you is this, the gist of it, the goal, in my opinion, is to give parents more of a right to decide on fighting for their child's life. That's the goal. And it becomes a real partisan issue. In essence, um, the right-wingers will be more in favor of Bobby's law and the left-wingers should not. And my, my argument to that is this. I don't care where you stand in a political half circle. I don't care if you're to the left or right. I mean, we should always be about protecting a child. If Bobby's law becomes what it should become, the Sarah Lynn Joneses of the world will have more of a right to protect their children. So it's something we need to work as a team for. All right, that's where I'm at with it. Um, where things are, it's a complete gray area right now. That's the best I can answer right now. But I'm not a leader in that regard. Question two. Is a polygraph ever admissible? Yeah. It's not admissible at trial. Um, it's admissible in pretrials. It's admissible at probation violations. It's admissible at sentencings. There is value with the polygraph. I would say this. Um, we put our tax dollars into the polygraph unit, Michigan State Police. And if we're going to pay for those tax dollars, if our tax dollars are going into that, there should be more credibility going into it. A prosecutor will use a failed poly and try to get an admission on a pre or post test and use it to build their case. But if you pass the polygraph, that's not admissible. That's bullshit. You know, there is value in it, but I feel the polygraph should be more valued and more treasured than it is. If we're a defense lawyer or a probation officer or a judge or a prosecutor, aren't we searching for the truth? We're not just searching for a conviction, right? We're searching for the truth. Let's make sure we get to the truth. Alright guys, I'm Bill Amadeo. I approve this message. Later. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311. 
Cofield Oil and Blight Propane are now Cofield Oil and Propane. Cofield Oil and Propane serves residential, agricultural, and commercial customers in Shiawassee and surrounding counties with quality gasoline, diesel fuel, and home heating oil products, along with propane, which can be used for heating and cooking and so much more. Visit us at cofieldoil.com or call 989-634-5623. Cofield Oil and Propane. We'll bend over backwards to earn your business. Coalfield Oil and Propane, since 1953.